Questions edition of Spin Cycle. We are broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. I'm Jess Lilly and I'm so happy to be here with a full spin fam in the studio. Crikey reporter Charlie Lewis and the age journo Najma Sambal are both here. Woo. I don't yeah. know how to do this. I've forgotten. I, I can't even hear myself. Can people hear me? Mic check, mic check. <laughs> I can hear myself now. I can stop being lame. Yeah, my headphones are weird. But anyway, on tonight's show, we're going to do a little estate uh, election wrap-up. Uh, we'll be chatting about um, Scott Morrison's hopefully brief and yet very eventful comeback in the headlines. <laughs> and in about 15 minutes, uh, we'll be joined by uh, Paddy Manning, to talk about his unauthorised Lachlan Murdoch biography, The Successor, for which Charlie will be uh, recusing himself and sitting in the green room eating chips and staring at us. And forming no opinions whatsoever about the interview. About Lachlan Murdoch. Or the content of the interview (laughs) or the book that he was discussing. I do not have a media position to lose, so I shall ask... All yes. the questions. <laughs> oh, How are God. you, Nash? I'm good. How is everybody? The yeah. weather picked up. Oh, the weather t- chats. Finally, yeah. <laughs> Some weather chats. Um, what are you, you're off night shift. Amazing. Yeah, I've been doing the night breaking desk, so obviously calling police media my besties. Um, it, it was cool. What was it like? Oh, night shift was like um, – so I, it, it, it was kind of like um, – we never use the word quiet because no such thing as quiet. Um, but, yeah, it obviously it's a little bit slower. You have a bit more stories that break in the morning and yeah. follows because of other outlets um, getting what you didn't have or getting <laughs> what you were close to getting. Um, but, yeah, so I think it was it was pretty good. I think it's weird to – I saw you pop up on the front page though. Yeah, that happens with breaking news. You yeah, kind of get pushed good. to the front and you're it's almost great. like, oh, this is just pure luck, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> if, if, I'm gonna, if I'm the one on the desk at 2am, it's got to pay off some t- Yeah, some precisely. Time. But, yeah, like there was one time where hour left of my shift, Saturday night, and then it was like some emergencies happened and <laughs> it was a sad story. So it was like, a, it was like oh, somebody's died. And then it was like, it's a child. And it's like, ah, I'm definitely staying to be doing this. So just a quick flurry. And there's a lot of death on breaking news. It's, um, yeah, it's macabre to be on that beat. But it's it's where you learn the most. And I think it's where you kind of have to, you know, you have to kind of adapt. Mm. So it's been amazing. And you kind of become like a little bit corporate normie. I'm loving – I always ask what people are eating. Just because you're bound to your desk, <laughs> you don't have time to kind of wander, and I'm a wanderer. So, like, I really have enjoyed the camaraderie on that desk. So, yes. And uh, you've been catching the train to work. I love that. I that know. That little update. It's fashioned a new Najma. Like, who'd have thought me not being able to afford $70 parking, so I've had to, you know, slum it on the train. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but it's been good because now I'm kind of like, it's not so bad now that I have to do it. It's like I kind of have to look at the positives of like, oh, that ease between kind of going to work and getting home. And, yeah, whereas before when I desperately was trying to become someone who commutes via train, I was like, oh, my God, everything's terrible about this experience. <laughs> terrible. And then today I was like, um, it, the, the train park like banked it, if it banks or whatever, at Flinders Street. And there were inspectors on. They were looking for someone who was like shooting up in the back of the train. And I just thought, ah, oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> the hoi polloi have come to you. Oh, God, so much fodder for fiction. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so were you – you were on for the state election? Yeah, I was um, on the polling booths. So I was working during the day and just talking to – just talking to the everyday voter, mm-hmm. you know, the ones that knew who they were voting for, the ones who were avoiding the fines and everything in between. <laughs> Amazing. What was, them, I mean, what was the breakdown in terms of people who knew for sure who they were voting for and why and the people who were like, oh, I haven't really thought about it? <laughs> I think it was like um, – I think it was like 
I don't know. I would say like uh, I'd say like it depends which electorate. Like so, when I was on East Brunswick, every it kind of was. Yeah, mm. most people knew who they were voting for. Um, when I went to like Albert Park, it was a bit more like mixed. yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah. That, that was a very interesting seat. At the time yeah, yeah, so I would say like around. 65 to 70% kind of knew who they were voting mm. for, 30% were unsure. And what about our um, hometown, although you've been sort of redrawn out of Footscray, but we're all in yeah, there. Well, Charlie and I are in Footscray. <laughs> it's gentrification. <laughs> like, let's be real. I live in Braybrook. I've been turfed out. You have been turfed out. I, I actually didn't know that the, that lot, those lines had been redrawn until we were talking about it yeah. on the weekend. Also, I mean, I think, um, uh, and I don't want to sound like any kind of partisan here, it wasn't actually quite as dramatic a swing towards the Greens as it kind of appeared at the time. Like... It was preferences. It was a two percent yeah, primary yeah. vote swing to the Greens, which is which is something. Yeah, and it was quite a big swing against Labor. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. But the fact that the Victorian Socialists and the Liberal Party both preferenced the Greens yeah. ahead of Labor, yeah, really um, amplified, I guess, that that swing. I think I think the danger of that for an incumbent is that it's optics, right? Mm. Now that people say, "Oh, Greens have got a shot," yeah, let yeah, me yeah, now yeah. vote. Yeah. Greens, let mm. me now like mm. really go hard for sure, for sure. because yeah. a lot it's of a... people I feel are quite maybe progressive in this electorate. Or the interesting thing for me, and the, you yeah, know, you I'm, might have opinions I on this. I'm talking like this is very personal, just my own you know subjective experience. But for me, the state election is very much about local issues yeah. and local your mm. local members and yeah. what they're doing. You know, yeah. And I in Footscray saw a lot of the socialists, the Victorian socialists. And, and definitely, um, you know, in an impressive way in the yeah. lead up to the election. Katie Hall was everywhere, yeah. as she has been through her whole electoral term, the yeah. last term. Yeah. I saw nothing from the Greens. Yeah. So it did surprise me, you know, even not, you know, taking into consideration. I, I just get surprised when, when um, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised that there might be a protest vote against Dan Andrews and we'll get on to the media coverage of him in a moment. But it just surprised me that when we have such a, a, a active local politician mm. that, um, you know, that there was, that the Greens, when yeah. they weren't active in the sliders, made, made that impact, you yeah. know. Well, I mean, I think... That, I'm sure they will be now. They will be now in Footscray. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I was at the, the Greens party launch uh, for the election and uh, talking to Samantha Ratnam about, you know, where they thought they could make gains uh, this time out. And they, you know, they talked a big game about... Richmond, Northcote, Albert Park, Pasco Vale, keeping what they already had. Uh, Footscray. Didn't figure. It didn't figure in the most no. grandiose assessment of any person I talked to yeah. that night. Mm. Uh, so I suppose they, they probably would have been taken as much by surprise as this as, as anyone would have. Yeah. But now, but you're right, next four years from now, they will, th- they will consider that kind of... But even just like, this, like politics aside, just Footscray as a location, just the amount of, you know, how gentrification mm. has just sped up. Because yeah. there's no yeah, doubt yeah, it was yeah, going to yeah. happen, yeah, you know. Yeah. I'm not it was always going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, but now there's going to be a brewery at um, where Franco Coso was. Oh, is that it's, what's happening? Mm. Yeah, so it's just oh, like... God. You know, it's just sped up and the boundary change has further amplified those kind of, you know, fears Mm. around gentrification happening too fast because, for me, Footscray hasn't really changed. Like, the people... Like the people from migrant, you know, working class backgrounds haven't left yet. It's not no. that expensive <laughs> yet. But for God's sake, of, let us stay. <laughs> in terms of renting and buying, yeah, you know, it's definitely. always been on the pricey side for sure. Well, yeah, and I mean the Footscray, Footscray became the the home, you know, prices for buying shot up years ago. Yeah. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I'm in West Footscray and I can, I've can seen the demographic change massively just yeah. in the five years that I've been there. And just in the primary school, you were saying yeah, this anecdote. completely. Yeah. And that's because renters are being pushed out, you know. Yeah, 100%. But, um, yeah, it's, it would be an interesting contest mm. moving forward for mm. sure, mm. a seat to watch. But you were at you, – you did go to Katie's um, yeah. party on Saturday night or, you know, I was think- she shocked? I think she I think she wasn't 
shocked because she knew about the, obviously we all knew the liberals were preferencing um the greens the greens over labor as well as you know the vic socialists that anyone having, but labor yeah. yeah and vic socialists having um you know doing a really strong boots on the ground <laughs> campaign um so that was no kind of surprise but i think yeah i'm sure like yeah, I would say Katie felt a little bit like, oh, you know, but she'd put everything into it yeah. and she'd campaigned hard and she's really well known in the electorate. So, she really is. Yeah, she's quite well known in the electorate. She's everywhere. Very active with a lot of different types of communities. Mm. So um, I don't think it was – I think when you see something on TV and it's, you know, a very big – it's, you know, state election, a lot has been said on all sides about – you know, the outcome of it. Of course, anybody is going to be slightly nervous. And this is, at the end of the day, your job's on the line. And in, at the end of the day as well, the, the again, similar to the swing towards the Liberals, the green swing didn't actually transfer translate into a lot of new... No, things. no. And it, it wasn't actually... I mean, it wasn't actually as much of a swing as perhaps a lot of us, yeah. certainly the Greens, were expecting. It's kind of... It all kind of stayed pretty much where it was. Mm. Uh, and now we're seeing that m- most likely the two teal candidates who were most likely to get up probably weren't either. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's 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 been it's 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 been. I mean, I suppose. Do we have time to talk about the Should actual we coverage? Should we talk about the coverage? <laughs> and yeah. um, I'll just message our friend Paddy and just let him know I'm, I'll be calling a little bit late. But yes, whilst <laughs> we're talking about the election, let's quickly talk about the coverage because, you know, we did mention it last week. Last week, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know what's happened is we talked about bias. Um, well, it's a fun, yeah. It just did not play out in terms of electoral results. It's, it's a funny one because obviously I think you know all all mainstream media took quite a lot of a lot of criticism um, in the aftermath of the of the result. I think there is a there is a category difference. I mean, I think if I had a criticism of the age, it was that polling that did not show a particularly close race was reported as though it did. You could argue that that's just trying to get a few more clicks in and that's that's mm. that's one thing that's not the same thing as the herald sun quite actively campaigning for one party mm. and, and 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 spreading conspiracy theories on its front page and, and things like that i mean i think you know there's there is a bit of a sense that the 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 sway that um that news corp and, and the herald sun in particular has over the electorate um there's a real question about whether that still stands. Mm. Um, you've got now two two elections in a row where the parties they backed didn't got got a shellacking. Mm. They didn't just not do well. They got a shellacking. Um, that does make you question federally and state federal. Yes, and sorry, the federal state in, in May, federal election in May, and then and then the uh, election over the weekend. Um, and it wasn't a subtle mm. difference of. of of opinion this was a very very considered campaign and, and by the way i, I want to give you know the, the the herald sun did run the odd anti-liberal campaign but not in their front page no, mm. and not not nearly as regularly as anti anti-labor uh, stuff so you do wonder what what the kind of future of that of that well, model kind of is your colleague guy rundle at the at crikey talk um just very subtly declared at the death of the Hun. <laughs> yes, it was. It was in a, a, a characteristically restrained piece from, from from Guy. I mean, look. I mean, his his view is that that is that they picked a certain business model in the late nineties that it worked for a little while. It, it had it hit diminishing returns as it always has to, and the, and that a result like this pretty much spells the end. Well, I think I have to say though, I feel like um, first of all, polls. And never, they're not Bible, although that's questionable as well. Using that well, analogy, most of the polls, <laughs> most of the polls actually, in terms of the primary vote, most of the polls they weren't were miles off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It, it was it, just the way that they get spun, you know, yeah, sometimes no. in headlines. And... Yeah, and I think like, um, what was the election before federal election before last? You know, nobody thought about. <laughs> yeah, I, that, 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 yeah, that's a true. Yeah, yeah, but I think as well, it's really hard though because for and. You know, I think there should be some kind of um, – what I will say is going out in the polling booths, there was a lot of anti-Daniel Andrews mm. sentiment. Yeah, mm. I saw that too. Yeah. It was from people who were sensible, ordinary people. There were It was people who were a little bit, you know, going down the conspiracy theory path. But for the most part, it was – yeah, there was a lot of anti-Dan rhetoric at mm, polling mm. booths and 
I think, yeah, it is surprising there was sense, yeah. that that didn't translate. And I'd like to know the answer as to why. Well, the thing is that he, that it did translate to a degree in as much as there was a swing against Labor. But the thing is, the swing to Labor in the previous election was, was so, so big great that it was just a correction. In order yeah. for that... Sw- ah, yeah, so it, it's like the pendulum's kind of coming back and it's... It's come back yeah. and but, particularly yeah. in you know, traditionally, you know, working class manual suburbs where... Yeah, the Western... Yeah, yeah, people were, you know, probably a lot worse off financially mm. because of lockdowns and things like that. Mm. But I mean, it was... just wasn't enough. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I think the, the, there was the there was the quote from um, Nicholas Reese, the former state uh, ALP director, I believe, uh, who, who told one of your colleagues that there was a very, very vocal minority, an incredibly... Yeah. Mm. And that that maybe created a bit of distortion yeah. and noise that that, that changed and, every, that made everyone think oh that this can't possibly yeah but also um it's a lot of credit to the local members as well because mm, i know sure. ros spence it's about local yeah politics. ros spence mm. the minister of multicultural affairs is in the north and you know during the pandemic and during those lockdowns that really affected um you know working class people in that area she was all over it mm. and she was mm. quite compassionate as well mm. so i think and this, i could say you the same about your local member uh, and there what? were there are a, a few of those people who are really connected to their electorate mm. and i think that that had a big role to play as well for sure for sure and i think you also can't underestimate um the influence of of I mean, there's no way they put it, a shambles of an opposition party. Absolutely. I mean, a, a completely dysfunctional political party. But, That's not necessarily good for anyone in Victoria, but it was very good for the Labour yeah. Party. Sw- swinging back to, I mean, shambles of an opposition party who were willing to um, entertain some of the talking points mm, that, mm. that, that you know, some more of the more extreme kind of talking yeah. points of Sky News and, and Herald Sun. Yeah, and and I think also, I mean, one of the, one of the you know, I think in some ways they... That not everyone in the leadership team wanted that. Mm. There was definitely some concerted effort to do a, a much more, you know, because in 2018, famously, it was a, a, a horrifically um, racist campaign with a lot of law and order stuff around young men of African, I'm doing yeah. air quotes for anyone listening, young men of African appearance, which the Liberal Party hit very hard and obviously got destroyed at the polls as a result. Um, this time... That from the leadership team, you got the sense that they were trying to actually genuinely make it a bit about policy, or at least make it about oh, promises 100%. to the electorate. I think, but I guess... there was no obviously there was no strength in that leadership team to stop the fringes of the party doing whatever it was. It just that they yeah, do. and like even Pesciuto, who's who's you know throwing his hat in the ring for the liberal leadership, leadership yeah. um, just clung on to well. Rewind his seat, yeah, Hawthorne. Yeah, yeah, Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but even, that was a big challenge. Even yeah, him saying that the, on Virginia Trioli that you know that whole you know attacking Dan Andrews just didn't work, and we're also seeing it globally as well. There's a real pushback against kind of feeding into maybe fringe like fringe um, views, and you know tapping into. The, lo- the vocal minority and trying mm, to mm. exploit that, and it just doesn't work, and particularly in Australia, it not in Australia. here, yeah. not where it's compulsory voting and you kind of have to be engaged. I think just before we, uh, I, w- I will have to give <laughs> yeah. Paddy a call in a moment. Circling back to that, I- I- in terms of his book that you know I've been reading that we'll be talking about in a moment, the successor about Lachlan Murdoch. The thing that the Murdochs have, or the, not the Murdochs, the Herald Sun has done in terms of painting itself into a corner is like when you read this book, you know, the Murdochs, um, well, the Australian backed Kevin Rudd, you know, they, they, they have traditionally in Australia, they have backed both Labor and Liberal, you know, they backed Kevin Rudd and then they backed Tony Abbott after that. Since then, they have simply backed Liberal parties and so this this the, i'll be interested to ask patty about this too because this traditional kind of concept that murdoch is actually very influential in terms of electoral outcomes mm. perhaps they were more circumspect in terms of who they were backing historically mm. and they were backing the better party to form government the, the more Whereas, likely yeah, 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 yeah they were better at reading the yeah the well even just the most competent <laughs> party so mm. whether you like a dan andrews or not the the current form of the liberal party in victoria are a shambles well, i mean I I mean that was and that was exactly the argument that the the age did in their editorial was it was I think the most grudging endorsement I've ever seen of any party. They're like, look, 
We know, guys, but it, the libs ain't ready for government, so we can't give it to them. Yeah. Triple R. During 20 years in journalism, Paddy Manning has worked for Crikey, the Sydney Morning Herald, Australian Financial Review and The Australian. He is a contributing editor at The Monthly and the author of a swag of books, including Inside the Greens, biographies on Malcolm Turnbull and Nathan Tinkler, and Body Count, his book about cli- the climate crisis and the Australian bushfires, which, was, which won last year's Victorian Premier's Literary Award for non-fiction. Paddy joins us this evening to talk about his new book, The Successor, The High Stakes Life of Lachlan Murdoch. Welcome, Paddy. Thanks for having me. It's so great to have you. I've been sort of um, reading this book uh, for a few weeks now. There was, uh, I think we had a, um, uh, we, I was supposed to talk to you a couple of weeks ago and then got COVID, and <laughs> which was, in a way, it's been good because I've managed to make it almost all the way through. Um <laughs> And it's so huge. I'm I, I, I'm going to jump all over the place because there's a lot to talk about. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to start with uh, well, congratulations first. It's kind of the, the the first kind of Lachlan Murdoch compendium, and it, it's incredibly impressive the way you've mined a huge range of source material as well as I think some sixty interviews was it with people who've been involved with Lachlan through his life, but no interview with Lachlan. Did you uh, start this book kind of hoping you might um, talk to him or, or were you always kind of pretty certain that this was going to be a, an arm's length account of his um, life up till now? It was never predicated on access. It was always going to be unauthorised and warts and all. So I was kind of told very early on uh, that I had maybe a 5% chance of getting the interview. But um, but I did try. I tried hard. <laughs> and um, I tried because uh, I was kind of determined not to produce a kind of anti-Murdoch rant, um, mm. but really to try and produce something that reflected, um, you know, Lachlan's own thinking. Um, and, you know, there's no point doing a biography of uh, Lachlan, which just kind of takes him as a substitute for his father and then repeats what's been written about Rupert 50 times over. You know, I was mostly interested in what was different about um, but, you know, it's the differences between Lachlan and Rupert. And um, and so, yeah, I spent um, hours and hours and hours getting kind of off-the-record briefings from uh, people in his inner circle and then, you know, uh, comp- transcribing all of that and uh, putting back the most interesting bits in writing and trying to confirm what I could take on background and what I could take perhaps as off-the-record uh, quotes. And, yeah, that was a slow process. I hoped in that process that I would be you know, kind of establishing a level of goodwill and trust, and I think I did. Mm. Uh, but uh, but at the same time, uh, it never, you know, resulted in an interview with with Lachlan himself. Um, now I don't know. I don't think the book's really any poorer for that. Uh, because you know, I did a hell of a lot of research, yeah. and um, and a two-hour interview. I'm not quite sure. You know, would it would it change the story that much? Sorry, apologies if you can hear my dogs barking in the background. <laughs> no, all good. It's interesting because I think what it does in a way is he, he remains slightly at arm's length, a little bit enigmatic, um, but obviously it, it has pushed you to also um, mine every single sort of um, interview or, um, you know, on source that exists elsewhere on the record. And so it is an incredible kind of combination of source material and interviews. There are lots of things that sort of surprised me and, and also um, in it, you know, I, there's one thing really early on, like in page 10, I think, <laughs> which when you talk, to, talk about uh, Anna Murdoch t- um, wanting to get, out of London real quick after a couple of incidents. One was when um, two men abducted the wife of Rupert's second in charge, Alec McKay, and who had been using Rupert's Rolls Royce while he was in Australia. And um, so believing it to be him, um, they followed it home, broke into the house, kidnapped um, Alec's wife, Muriel McKay, Who's and demanded a ransom. Now, her body was never recovered. Soon after, Anna Murdoch 
knocked down and killed an old lady while driving. And when I read these things, like I hadn't heard these stories before, I thought, you know, is this common knowledge? Have I just missed this? But when I Googled it, there is no trace of these stories. <laughs> no, they're old stories, I suppose. This is, you know, we're talking about... Um you know, 969 uh, from memory. Uh, so, right, so, you know, a lot of that isn't on the internet. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there was a hell of a lot of um, kind of going back over old press clippings. Um, but it did shape, you know, Lachlan, I mean, the reason why that was relevant um, to Lachlan's story is that he was born in London mm. in 1971. And, and yet, you know, everything that I've been able to glean, I mean, Lachlan never talks about his UK citizenship and he has never lived there. Mm. Uh, he's only he's divided his time really between uh, Australia and the United States. And he, you know, he leaves, um, you know, very early on in his life. I mean, I think he was three or four when he left London and they moved to New York. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the the murder of, the terrible murder of Muriel McKay, um, kidnapping and murder, um really cast a pall over the Murdoch's time in London. Mm. And Anna said at the time that, you know, she couldn't wait to leave. Uh, and so it kind of shapes Lachlan's story because it's why he ends up, you know, growing up in America. Well, he did, and he sort of had, you know, what you think would be his formative years in America, and, and you'd think that he'd be quite attached to it. But, in fact, Australia um, became, you know, his spiritual home and where he felt the most comfortable sort of... Um, I guess it felt like so. I guess you've divided this book into three parts. The first part is like his young, younger years and, and cutting his teeth within the Murdoch um, stable. The second part is when he kind of goes it alone, and then the third part is when he comes back into the fold. And that that first um, third of the book, he seems to feel very much at home in Australia. He feels um, comfortable in Sydney. He feels like he's got allies in news. He also has you know, a budding friendship with James Packer and a lot of business seems to happen on yachts. <laughs> you know, this it's it's quite a um, charmed life, but it does seem like he does seem like a very earnest young character who wants to prove his own, you know, ability in the business world, I suppose. Well, that's right. Yeah, and um, you know, I mean, one of the one of the observations that's been made about the book is that uh, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a kind of disconnect between the young Lachlan and the, and the Lachlan we know now. Um, mm. And I think that that is uh, that is the case. You know, uh, he when he comes out to Australia, falls in love with the place, uh, marries an Australian um, in Sarah O'Hare, the uh, supermodel um, Sarah Murdoch, of course, and. Um, and and really doesn't want to ever leave. He thinks that that's where the roots, and I mean, of course, the roots of the news corporation business are in Australia. Go back to Adelaide, and uh, and yeah, he hates his American accent. He wishes he was uh, Australian. He genuinely um, loves it here. So uh, it's interesting you know, though because his brother and sister, so James and Elizabeth, and you know, they seem to have more of a, a sense of. You know, you have to play in the bigger territories to to get the dominant sort of stakes yeah. within this business. And he just didn't seem to be too fussed with all of that, you know. And it, it, He just wants to be in Double Bay. He really did, <laughs> by the sound of things. But even when he tries his hand in America, you know, and he comes up against the likes of Roger Ailes and they actually just treat him like a, you know, Nepo kid, He's and that's when he says, you know... Screw this! I'm out. You know, and goes back to Australia to to demonstrate King of the his, castle. Yeah, the it's just like no. I'm going to prove myself in this place that I feel comfortable. It's, it's it is interesting that that sort of trajectory that he takes. In his 20s, he's anti-Pauline Hanson, he's pro-Republic, he's, he's open-minded, he's got lots of gay mates, he's uh, got a tattoo, he's got spiky hair, he's a rock climber. <laughs> um, he presents as cool, the cool next generation of Murdochs. Uh, and he's out here as, you know, literally the most eligible, probably, bachelor, uh, for want of a better word, uh, in the country. You <laughs> know, and... 
and have, having an absolutely great time. But there's also a kind of ambivalence about Lachlan, it mm. seems to me, having kind of done a lot of research, um, you know, and kind of talked to a lot of people about him. Uh, it, it, an ambivalence about about whether he really wants to uh, be chained to a desk, you know, running News Corporation the way his father and uh, his grandfather uh, had done before him, you know. And um, he's kind of got this adventurous side. Uh, he he does love his sailing and his rock climbing, and uh, and he has that, you know, as you mentioned in two thousand and five, literally walked out of the empire. Um, He's right now based in. He's right now based in Australia, trying to run Fox Corporation, where he's the CEO mm. uh, from the other side of the world. I mean, he's obviously commuting a lot, and he's back and forth in his private jet, and you know, you see that reported every time he lands. Uh, but, um, but. Uh, yeah, he does have, I think, um, a degree of ambivalence mm. about about working inside the family business. Now, as a as a you know um, community long term community radio station in Melbourne, it does behoove me to mention that when he did go out on his own and he started this investment company, Illyria, and was looking for you know media. Um, to buy up in it, you know, which I guess we can get onto in terms of like, he does seem to be able to make a lot of investment mistakes, <laughs> Lachlan, and it's still like water for ducks back. But anyway, one of the probably better decisions that they made was to um, invest in DMG Radio and they turned uh, a, um, a little known station called Vega into Smooth FM. So, so yeah. if you ever wanted to under- understand Lachlan's lasting impact on um, Australian commercial radio, there you go. Um, well, I think there's a lot of significance to that, Jess, actually, which mm. is that it shows that Lachlan's investment priorities are not so much uh, to do with establishing political power. Mm. Always with Rupert Murdoch, there's been an insatiable kind of drive for power. Uh, he and, just like his father, Sir Keith, have been kingmakers. Uh, in Rupert's case, kingmaker um, in the United States, UK and here. Um in Keith's case, you know, he was the most powerful editor in the country at the Herald and Weekly Times, running the um, Melbourne Herald um, for decades. Mm. Uh, and and so, but Lachlan uh, invests differently. Mm. Um, he's interested in, I think, assets. He's purely interested in what's going to make him money. And, uh, and Nova is a classic example. You don't get more powerful. You don't get access. It doesn't open doors in Canberra. Um, the fact that you own Nova. Mm. And you could ditto um, realestate.com.au, ditto sports betting, uh, ditto, you know, um, the other investments that Lachlan has kind of, uh, like, including Channel 10. I mean, Channel mm. 10, uh, even owning Channel a minority stake in Channel 10, as he did, you know, between um, 2010 and, and 2017, didn't really make him a heavyweight political player. I mean, he is a heavyweight because he is a Murdoch yeah. and he's on the board of um, the two most powerful um, media companies, arguably, in the world, and certainly the most powerful media company in Australia. But arguably um, there's a um, there's one of the potential dangers of this hands-off approach and the not wanting to be involved. Like, he doesn't seem to be, you know, there's this constant refrain of their media men, their newspaper men, but you don't get the sense that, you know, that's what drives Lachlan to your point just now. But the problem with that is when he does become CEO of, or, you know, when he does sort of start controlling something like Fox News, which he did um, when he came back into the fold and start overseeing um, during Trump's reign, is that he was incredibly hands-off with some of the, you know, programming choices. He didn't seem to care about any of that sort of stuff. And arguably that has a massive impact when the person at the helm is not guiding the you know the the direction of the this huge and very influential politically influ- influential ju- juggernaut well Lachlan seems to bristle at the idea that he runs Fox News he runs Fox 
Scott's Corporation. He has a CEO of Fox News called Suzanne Scott, and he has um, a president and editor-in-chief in Jay Wallace at Fox News. And Lachlan does not see his role as, mm. as, as running Fox News. But I think it speaks to a bigger thing about Lachlan, which is that he is not the interventionist kind of um, all-seeing, all-powerful editor-in-chief figure that Rupert has been. Lachlan takes uh, a different view, which is that, and you, you know, you could argue that it's benign uh, in the sense that he's not calling editors and producers um, every day, telling them what to um, what to put out. You know, so um, so, so they have editorial independence of, in a way. Well, that's right. There's two sides to the to, to the argument, uh, but um, it becomes a problem in um, a situation like uh, the, the kind of big lie uh, mm. after the 2020 election. So Fox News, to its credit, calls the um, election straight on election night in 2020, and famously um, calls Arizona the swing state um, first on on the night, and and that snuffs out any hope that the Trump um, campaign had uh, that they might have declared victory early and then stopped the count. That was literally a, a plan that they had. And uh, and so they were outraged when Fox News, of all networks, um, declared that um, Arizona had fallen to Biden. So... So uh, they they ran that straight, but then then the MAGA kind of base abandoned Fox and went to you know went further right to Newsmax and OAN mm. and uh, Fox News uh, you know. Uh, it's questionable. We decided in court whether this was a deliberate strategy, uh, but Fox News aired baseless allegations about vote rigging uh, by Dominion and Smartmatic, which were two vote um, electronic vote counting uh, machine. Uh, companies mm. and uh, and that's landed Fox Corporation in court. So we've just seen this week uh, that in fact in, in fact just today it's been confirmed that Lachlan Murdoch himself will be deposed in the Dominion uh, case uh, in the States and that's headed for trial uh, in April and they're facing uh, damages claim of you know 1.6 billion US dollars yeah, uh, so yeah, and so airing these, um, you know, untrue, you know, I, I, I think there should have been, it was a failure of leadership at that point. And, yep. um, and ultimately, Lachlan, as the um, Fox Corporation CEO, has to take responsibility for everything uh, that happens at Fox. Even it's so interesting, he though. He has to share his part of the responsibility. Because in, in the book, it's really interesting the way that his return comes about. Because in a way, he he couldn't have, it was all accidental, but he timed his, you know, I'm, I'm going out and I'm going out on my own and I'm just going to hang out in Australia and, create, and do my own thing. Timed it quite perfectly because his brother James was then like, great, I'll, I'll, I'll be in the, the succession orbit. But that was when the phone hacking scandal kicked off in the UK and you know in a way Lachlan couldn't have been in a better position to return to the company in a sort of successionist role because he had nothing to do with any of that he wasn't involved it was very clear that he wasn't involved and he came back because you know Rupert asked him to um yes Rupert ate humble pie but now he is actually arguably facing a far greater challenge to the foundations of of the Murdoch kind of, you know, juggernaut, really. Well, yeah, so again, it's the ambivalence. It was very much Lachlan's people uh, insisted that Lachlan uh, had to be persuaded to return to the fold uh, in 2014 and 15. He didn't want to move the family uh, and his three kids, him and Sarah, didn't want to move back to the States. They were kind of reluctant to do it. And he certainly took his time before they decided to relocate because he didn't want a repeat of his previous experience where he would go, uh, you know, 
he would be kind of countermanded by other executives inside Fox or News Corporation, and uh, and Rupert would ultimately back uh, his executives over his son. Uh, but it's true that you know Lachlan was sort of the last man standing after the phone hacking mm. scandal because James was ultimately tarnished, although he had nothing really to do with the phone hacking. He wasn't responsible for the British newspapers at the time that it occurred, uh, but he was responsible for the res- for the response to the phone hacking scandal, yeah. and in the public eye, he, he took a fall. And so Rupert really only has uh, Lachlan to rely on. Liz had already kind of um, quit the business. She decided early on that it was easier to be a Murdoch outside of, of News Corporation. Uh, and... Um, and so Lachlan ends up in this position despite a certain ambivalence. Uh, but he, it's true also that he now... He, the, the position has some vulnerability, and you have to understand the way the Murdoch Family Trust works. So the Murdoch Family Trust owns 40% of the voting shares uh, in Fox Corporation and News Corporation in round figures. And that's enough for them to control both companies. Uh, but on the Murdoch Family Trust, there are eight votes. Rupert has four, and each of the four eldest um, children, that's proved from his first marriage, and Liz, James and Lachlan from his second marriage to Anna, um, each of them have one. So at the moment... Prue's really plus... played it well, I think. <laughs> She's avoided well, she, all she... of this, hard, this stress, man. I'm getting she's stressed never, out she's listening never to this. Today. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I, I'm interested, like, with your, you know, you were talking about the, the Lachlan insiders tell, talking to you. So, obviously, there were people who um, were, in a way, improved, approved by his inner circle to talk to you. What sense did you get in terms of, you know, how much um, these interviewers were still engaged with Lachlan, how close he was to understanding what who was talking to you and who was involved, you know, or do you... Or, you know, how, how did that all play out? Well, I can't go into, you know, the more detail I go into about who I spoke to or how close they were to Lachlan, the more danger I'm in of compromising, you know, my sources. And I've kind of given of course, a yeah. firm commitment that I won't. Uh, but um, certainly the people I was talking to are in close contact with Lachlan still. Mm. And, um, and, you know... Uh, I probably shouldn't say more, but I know um, that, and especially by going through a process of putting to them in writing what I wanted to use and um, and making sure that they stood by it um, and it was an accurate reflection. It wasn't a thought bubble, you know, that came up in many hours of conversation, but it was a, um accurate reflection of uh, position that, you know, Lachlan actually took. Uh, I'm sure that all of that was... Um, Bounced off Lachlan, mm. so so I'm tr- I have I have tried very hard to be um, fair here uh, and to give his side of the picture to the, you know uh, you know the best obtainable version of the truth I guess and I've tried to do my best here uh, without you know access to him. To be honest, and, I think uh, it's a very um... <laughs> I don't think humanitarian is the right word, but I think you know it, it is a generous portrait of Lachlan it's still very hard to understand where his true heart lies and obviously the story isn't over um because he he keeps that he keeps that to himself mm. he goes to he is incredibly guarded mm. and I suppose if you had grown up um the son of one of the you know I mean there is a lot of Murdoch hate out there uh and if you had grown up the son of uh, someone like Rupert Murdoch and find you find that, um, you know, at six years old that, you know, on the cover of Time magazine he's being portrayed as King Kong invading New York. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, that colours your, I suppose, your attitudes. And, uh, yeah, so he is very guarded. I mean, he has a business reason for doing that, which is that he says, um, you know, if he starts broadcasting his private um, uh, opinions and they'll be parroted by editors and producers inside the Murdoch media around the world, that will um, lower the... Um, you know, quality of the diversity of uh, opinion um, inside, you know, the Murdoch businesses, and he's better off keeping his views to himself. Kevin, Kevin Rudd, who I interviewed, um, said... So he says. 
<laughs> well, what he says, yeah, he says, yeah. if if people, if Lachlan won't state his views, mm. uh, and of course, you know, Rudd wants um, Lachlan to uh, appear before a um, judicial inquiry into media diversity, um, so that he can be asked questions about his views and yeah. why he, you know, why his newspapers consistently, um, you know, for example, back the LNP as they just did in the Victorian election. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, yeah, Rudd says if, if Lachlan won't state his views, then people are entitled to assume that they are in line with what gets broadcast and published uh, by the Murdoch Empire every single day. Mm. And I think that's a fair point. You know, 100%. that is a fair point. Yeah. Patty, I want to just ask, though, now that, you know, obviously with the whole Royal Commission into Murdoch Media kind of popularity, it's all growing, but now that we're seeing, well, it's been kind of the conversation is had that um, the influence, the, the influence is, waning. is waning and it's not, you know, kind of, it's not... It's not what it used to be. Does that, my question to you is, does that Royal Commission still stand? All the calls for it still stand? Uh, certainly the calls for it do stand. And, uh, and um, you know, uh, the former Prime Minister who launched my book in Brisbane, um, you know, was saying uh, at, at that launch event, um, you know, watch this space, you know, there's more branches of the um, ALP most recently in Queensland itself that have backed a resolution calling for a judicial inquiry. However, the Albanese government, I think, has no chance of, there is no chance that they will um, move for a judicial inquiry into media diversity. We have just had a Senate inquiry um, in the last parliament and uh, and they've got no appetite for to yeah. pick a fight with um, the Murdoch media, and I question whether it's... I mean, I have concerns myself, but it is not a fantastic precedent if a progressive government has an inquiry effectively into the conservative media. Mm. Um, So so what what you... um, I mean, I think it's a a complicated proposition. Uh, We do have a, a Murdoch media monopoly in Australia of print, but that dates back to 1987 um, when you know, then Treasurer Paul Keating approved News Corporation's acquisition of the Herald and Weekly Times. Mm. That's what gave them two thirds of print circulation. So that's a that's a long time ago. But also, the uh, irony is now that that's less influential than even you know their you know, yeah. news dot com dot au is is probably the emerging jewel in the crown. Ironically, in terms of their journalism. Well, yeah, I mean, the Australian has um, racked up some pretty good figures lately as well in terms of its, you know, paid subscription growth and also, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, trying to appeal to, I mean, I suppose they're the last broadsheet and they have kind of, I, I think they've, you know, um, anyway, they've had some success. But, mm. but it's true that, it's true that uh, you know, when you look at, as, as Rudd says, you know, the... Um, you know, the Murdoch media in Australia has backed 25, in the last 25 federal or state elections, has backed the LNP or the coalition every single time. Didn't, I thought they backed Rudd. They backed Rudd in 2007, although he, he argues that that was last minute and only because they could see the writing <laughs> on the wall. Um, and so it was, they campaigned yeah. against him all through the election campaign. So but then on the, very, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> on the very last day, they said, oh, well, maybe, maybe it is time to have Rudd. Uh, but, uh, but every election since then, uh, they've, they've backed mm. the coalition. And you kind of got to look at the uh, the map of Australia politically, and you go, "Well, that hasn't worked." Has no, it? arguably they've, got... they've backed themselves into a corner of irrelevance in a way. Yeah, and so I mean, this is part of the argument too. Is that the? I mean, Rupert has said this over many years as well. That they, that he does not have the power that is attributed to him. Lachlan has said mm. it's social media that's dividing America now, not Fox News, mm. uh, and. And and th- that is a substantial argument. You know, we have been driven down rabbit holes and echo chambers by um, social media. Whether but there it's was YouTube a there was a um, wasn't there a um, a, uh, a academic inqu- um, investigation that you mentioned in the book that said that um, people who watched Fox News this was I think during Trump or in the lead up to 
there was like this crazy um, formula that was every certain minutes of Fox News they watched, they were more likely to vote Republican. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's right. Oh. And so uh, it's impactful. And... Have you watched Fox News? <laughs> I try not to. Oh, yeah. I'm... Oh my god. Like, come on. Like, you watch it sometimes. You're like, yeah. You might be. <laughs> Patty, I'm so sorry, but we are going to have to leave it here. Oh, I'm... great to talk to you. Jess. Oh, it was Thank so you. great. And I wish I could. I wish I could talk to you more. It's such a um, powerful book. There's so much in there that I'm like, ah, I want to know more about this. Um, thank you. Th- Thanks very much. That's great to hear. I'm glad you're enjoying it. And I hope. Um, we well, let's see what happens. It's not over. The story ain't over. Absolutely not. Thanks very much. <laughs> Who just had flashbacks? And <laughs> oh, I've missed seeing you so much. <laughs> you have to come back every week now. <laughs> seeing Scott Morrison on your telly. <laughs> Don't worry, it wasn't broken. <laughs> but how does he manage to deliver? Like he's back for five minutes, and we really could have filled a whole show. It's a, sh- it's a shame that we've only got a. Couple it's of a travesty yeah, it's because a travesty. I remember sitting. Uh, next to a colleague and saying, God, it's refreshing seeing entertainment. And I know that sounds really bad, but it was like the charisma in the way that he speaks. And the I, gaslighting, man. Well, it's I mean, like, yeah, but yeah. I just thought there was a part of me that was like, okay, if this was a Hollywood film, now that's a politician. <laughs> just in the terms of the mannerisms, it was so like, oh, well, my God, that, that, that this was is I, weird. What I, what I wrote today was that it's like if you – if you have a sick kind of interest in this, as I think everyone in this in this studio right now does, mm-hmm. you know, savor this because this probably is the last burst of pure uncut Morrisonisms that you're going to get. I mean, I assume that like there's the kind of you can say he knew watch. it too. Although he can... got up in Parliament, and he's like, I am going, I am not wasting this moment. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah, yeah. The I mean, God, everything about it. This sort of the, the shrugging abrogation of of responsibility. The the, the defiance, the, the defiance, and also the kind of faint irritation that he has to explain himself at all. Yeah, and also the the other thing is the saying things that aren't true that he has to know somewhere in his head are very easy to check. But also, this is all. Um, it's never been about that. <laughs> this is all for the backdrop, you know, happening with the backdrop of Nikki Savas' book release. And yes. Of course, she is yes. a bit of the a darling of the Australian political media. So every single news outlet, every single program was yeah, yeah. more than happy to. Oh, and entertain. And, and also, every recent. Every everyone who was until recently a, mi- a minister in the Morrison government was very happy to talk to her. About very it. Happy Alex to talk Hawk, to her. I yeah. was I was yeah. floored by that. I thought that was like, you know, it would go down on a sinking ship yeah, yeah. and well, then find a lost and, and island and claw that's back. That's what, um, what Joe Aston wrote in the uh, Financial Review this this week was, "Buddy, you were his numbers guy. Yeah. None of this could have happened without you." Yeah. Exactly. What do they call him? What's the 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 term for it? He's his lieutenant soldier. There was quite. There was a few. There was a few terms. Lieutenant. Some more offensive than others. <laughs> Some of the revelations colorful. in Nikki Savas' book are, are jaw dropping. There was the one um, uh, where um, oh god, the laying of hands of, Lay- on, on um, former Indigenous Affairs Minister Ken Wyatt. Ken Wyatt. So oh, they were just the hanging out in a drinks party, and yeah. then Scott. And who was with him? Stuart? Stuart Robert. Stuart yeah. Robert. Yeah. Uh, just sort of shuffled up to Ken Wyatt, wordlessly laid there. hands on him and started praying. That is a buzzkill, my friend. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Nadge Samble, at Lily Juice, and at The Shuffle Diary. You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via On Demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this.